0: Hello, I'm Di Redmond, and I'm your host for this season's Songs in the Wilderness. In this programme, we listen to the songs that have influenced our guests throughout their life and have influenced their faith, too. Today, I have the privilege of speaking to Sister Anne Swales, who is the assistant chaplain at Fisher House, the Catholic chaplaincy in Cambridge. Thank you for joining us today, Sister Anne. I gather from what you've told me that you were born in North Wales, but your family moved to Devon when you were a little girl.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, So first of all, thank you for that lovely introduction, Di, and it's a huge pleasure to be with you today and and to share a little bit about my life of faith and the music that's influenced that over the years. So yes, I was born in North Wales, and that was because... um, my family are english but my father had a job in north wales at that point but he was an older father he was quite a lot older than my mother and actually he retired when i was 3 and he retired to Devon so that we could live nearer my grandparents, my maternal grandparents. So that's how I ended up being um, born in North Wales but, but living in Devon as a small child. It
0: sounds like an idyllic childhood, travelling from Wales to Devon. and um, It's not like an industrial uh, centre.
1: No, not at all. They were both really, really beautiful parts of the world. Uh, and I do have, as you can imagine, lots of very happy memories of sure, yes. childhood by the sea, actually, in both cases. So, yes, very, very beautiful. Um, but even though you were actually baptised into
0: the Church of England, uh, you say you actually grew up in a non-church
1: practising family. Yeah, exactly that. So I think my family, you know, what you could say is that the Church of England was the church my family didn't go to. Um, so, like, they would always have, you know, filling in a census form or something like that, they'd always have, t- have ticked the box marked Church of England. But we really weren't church, church going, not even at Easter or Christmas. Um so I really grew up without any kind of formal religion although I did go to a Church of England primary school because that's what was available locally I guess Um, and that I think did probably in ways that perhaps at the time I didn't realise did kind of influence um, the sort of way I thought about things as a a small child but no there was no formal religion in my family at all. I I think what Made me start to think about Christianity really was as I was saying, my father was was older, and he actually died when I was just fourteen mm. and I think you know that 's the kind of age where people are beginning to ask meaning of life type questions anyway, but obviously, if something like that happens to you at that kind of age that's going to have a a particular focus maybe in a particular poignancy, so of course, I was thinking you know, what's happened to my dad? Uh, You know, has he gone somewhere else? And Mm -hmm. like, why did this happen as well? Um, I do know that although my father, nor my my mother at that point, she came back to the practice of her Anglican faith later. But at that stage, neither of my parents, as I was saying, were church going. But I do know that my dad prayed on his deathbed. So there was a kind of a sense, I think, that, yeah, there are some really big questions hanging in the air here that I didn't have answers to and I began to ask those questions and look for answers a- around that time but also as
0: as you've just said that age is so so um powerful your yeah. em- emotions are raging and you you want answers to everything mm. and then the devastation of losing mm. a blo- a beloved father is enough to push anybody over the edge <laughs> but it sounds like that was the start of a very profound journey
1: it was, and because it was starting at that kind of age, of course, I undertook that journey in the way that is kind of appropriate to that age, I guess. And looking back on it now, some aspects of it I feel quite embarrassed about because it kind of sounds really weird and precocious. Like when I was sixteen, um, was when Saint John Paul II visited England for the first oh, well right, for the time yeah. when he did. And although, as I say, my family were very culturally Church of England, even though we never went to church. I couldn't kind of imagine becoming Catholic at that stage but there was nevertheless there was something about the papal visit when you saw it on telly or whatever and I just thought my goodness I want what these people have got That's um, and but what I did as a result of that because as I say I couldn't have imagined just getting in touch with the Catholic Church and in fact there wasn't a Catholic Church anywhere near where we lived anyway what I actually did was I wrote a letter to the Archbishop of Canterbury and I said I quite like this Christianity idea, but, you know, I've got two or three little problems with it. Could you sort those out for me and then I might think about becoming a Christian? And, you know, it's such a precocious teenage thing to do, but it's where I was at that point and it was
0: part it, of the journey. But it's also a, a equality. You know, you're there, yeah. mate. You know, can I have a few yeah. answers? I might I might actually buy into exactly. this. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah, But it sounds like you were always questioning. And so whilst you were studying in Oxford, um, you must have made quite a few leaps because it was there that you were fully received into the church was that's
1: that? that's exactly right so I went I went to Oxford um, somebody's still wrestling with these questions the Archbishop of Canterbury I'm sorry to say didn't give me all the answers I expected uh, no he did a, he did a nice job what he actually did was he sent a letter to the Bishop of Exeter and the Bishop of Exeter sent a letter to a vicar in near where I lived and then this vicar turned up on my doorstep and we ended up being very good friends and talking a lot about religion and stuff and so that was the kind of background I went to Oxford with but that paid off that boldness absolutely I wonder if that would happen there. I don't know it's an interesting question that isn't it yeah it's a very interesting question um so you took that information with you to Oxford mm,
0: were you thrilled to be going to Oxford
1: Oh, I was I mean my brother I have a brother who's seven years older than me and he as far as any of us know he was like the first member of our family to go to university and you know it was such a big deal that we were going to university and and i was really really thrilled to be going to oxford um but and when i arrived i just somehow ended up having lots of christian friends and i think the process of becoming a practicing christian and it was still in the anglican tradition was really a very gradual and quite gentle one. It was like, these people, again, these people have got something I want, but also they're people who really care about me, Um, they inspire... And kind of bring good things out of me. It was a very human and, and as I say, quite a, a gentle thing. It wasn't like you know, claps of thunder and the Lord kind of revealing Himself in any dramatic way. And at a certain point, I just thought, yeah, I can do this Christian thing. I do. I think I can sign up to this. Um, That's interesting. Which college was, was that? Was I, that indicative of?
0: I mean, did it provide you the, the college particularly?
1: Maybe it did. Actually, looking back on it, so I was at Merton, oh, like um, and yeah, I think it was certainly at that point. It probably was. I don't know how typical or atypical, but yeah, there was certainly a strong Christian community in that college for sure. Um, What happened a bit later on was, so I finished my English degree and I started doing um, theology. I did a second degree in theology. And whilst I was doing that, I met um, a young Catholic lad who was at that point an undergraduate student and we started going out. And so it was really through him that I met the Catholic Church, specifically. Oh, OK, right. Um, so, yes, that's that's kind of the background to so, that. So,
0: yeah, isn't it the twists of fate that mm. lead you to your destiny?
1: Absolutely,
0: yeah. Well, let's talk about your first piece of music. Now, why did you choose this? Would you like to... T- I mean, I know what it is, but I want you to do the introduction. So,
1: so I've chosen something from Handel's Messiah, and there are a couple of reasons for this. Um, the first is that this was, I, I love choral singing, and this was the first time I ever had the opportunity to do a big piece of choral singing when I was still at school. And it was actually just after my dad died. And in the little village down in Devon where I went to school, there was a really inspirational woman who was um, a congregationalist minister, but she also had a great love of choral music and she set up this choir to sing Handel's Messiah one Easter. And I was part of that. And I was also invited actually sing a little solo in it and this this was the solo I sang so it has all those meanings for me um but also I just think it's such a consoling and peaceful text set to music that's very appropriate to the the atmosphere of the words and of course that consolation even though I couldn't maybe quite have named it as coming from God or being at that stage of my life it was it was somehow consoling and inspiring when I was still grieving for my father so it's got all sorts of special memories for me but also I still just really love it and I still find it consoling and inspiring so yeah that's that's the reason
0: goodness, Sister Anne, you must have a wonderful voice.
1: Well, I don't think I sang it as well as that.
0: But, I mean, you said I had a little piece to sing. That's a very long piece. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful, isn't it? It really is. So after being received into the church, correct me if I've got this wrong, and graduating with an English degree you yeah.
1: stayed on in Oxford yeah so the order was slightly different from that I did my English degree I then started studying theology and it was during ah. that period I became a Catholic oh, so, so, po- yeah. postgraduate yeah postgrad so yeah were you happy to stay on I mean I love that city so much I love it too um and yes I was very happy to stay on I partly I didn't complete I was doing a doctorate in theology which I never completed um and part of the reason I never completed it was that I actually it was on a very specific uh, field of anglican theology and I became a bit less committed to what I was doing when I became a catholic um but the other thing to be very honest with you as I mentioned I was going out with this catholic and I think that the extraordinarily positive end of that was that I became a catholic but it maybe did play a little bit of havoc with my studies that <laughs> this the kind of the relationship was a bit all consuming at that stage um but I very much wanted to stay on in Oxford, not only because I, like you, I love the city very, very much, but also because he was quite a bit younger than me. He was doing his undergraduate degree and it was kind of important for me that I would be where he was. So I basically stayed in Oxford because he was there, to be very honest. Um, And is that a point where you were teaching children? So that's the point at which I did various things. But one of the things I did was I was working with children with special needs. Um, So they were children who were not, Um, they didn't have really profound learning difficulties, but they had significant learning difficulties. But they were able to be integrated into a mainstream school. So it was a mainstream middle school um, in Blackbird Lees. So not in like people's perhaps slightly stereotypical Mm -hmm. um, image of rather a privileged setting in Oxford, but in in some ways quite a deprived place uh, and quite a, a challenging place. And I worked there for five years. Five years? Yeah, whilst I was... Um, still with my boyfriend but then we split up and I began thinking about religious life at about that stage. That's an extraordinary journey that (laughs) you go from teaching especially
0: that kind of demanding teaching and the end of a relationship and then you start thinking about joining uh, the English congregation of the Dominican Sisters of St Catherine of Siena.
1: Yeah that's right and I mean all of those things were connected in that My deciding that, you know, maybe the Lord was calling me to religious life was directly related to the breakup of this relationship. So um, what I would say is that when I became a Catholic, one of the ways I sometimes tell this story, like when I'm talking to students or whatever, is that I'll say I fell in love in three different ways at the same time. So I fell in love with, with my boyfriend, but I also fell in love with the Catholic Church and particularly with Catholic liturgy. And I also fell in love with the idea of revealed truth, the idea that, that God can speak to us in a way that is non-abusive. I'd always, I think, up till that point, had the idea that if people tell you what to do, it's because they actually want to order you about, they want to um, somehow have some kind of power over you. And of course, in in human life, that very often is true, and it very often is abusive. But I suddenly realised, and this was actually in a conversation with my boyfriend very late at night um, in Oxford, that actually, if it's God who's doing that, and we're told in the Gospels that you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, that's not abusive. It's actually liberating. And when I realised that, I decided I really wanted to be Catholic, because the Catholic Church seemed to teach this in a way that I found I could respond to. When it became obvious that for whatever reason, this relationship was actually doomed, (laughs) uh, I, to be honest, I fell apart completely. It was a really, I mean, I think, although many, many good things came out of it, I think at the end of the day, it wasn't a terribly healthy relationship and it was right that it ended. But for that very reason, it was particularly painful
0: absolutely and, and such a long period yeah
1: it was a long relationship um and it'd be my first serious relationship all sorts of things it was you know it was a very difficult situation but what happened as a result was that I kind of felt that I was being kind of picked up and put back together for something and uh I had all sorts of In some ways, quite naive and romantic ideas about what my vocation might look like. One of the ideas I had very early on was that I would carry on doing what I was doing, working in this school in Blackbird Lees, but like be a I didn't. There's, a, there's, there's something within the church, um, as I'm sure many of our listeners will know, called, called consecrated virginity. Oh, and I yes. thought I might be a consecrated virgin. I didn't have that terminology at that point. So I called it in my head, I called it being an urban hermit. And that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I was going to be working in the school and then spend the rest of my time kind of interceding for, for the estate of Blackbird Lees and the city of Oxford. And, and it was a beautiful vision. But I very quickly disar- discovered that I just don't have enough discipline to do that. I need if i'm going to lead any kind of disciplined life of prayer i need the structures oh, absolutely and so i've got huge admiration for people who can do that but i thought no i can't i then thought about possibly being an enclosed nun a carmelite and i think really what i was thinking there was it did feel like my whole life had been completely shattered and i felt like i'd got nothing to offer except my suffering at that point and some lots of um the way that some of the carmelite saints talk about the darkness the dark night of the soul and all of this resonated with me very deeply and i thought yeah that's me that's my vocation if it is your vocation, it's the most wonderful and important vocation in the church because the contemplative nuns are praying for us constantly and keeping us going. That's the sort of spiritual oxygen that we all need. But if it's not your vocation, I think it would send you mad within a month. And I fairly quickly decided that it would send me mad within a month.
0: And um, um, From what I know of you and seeing you um, and uh, at the chaplaincy, um, you have great communication skills. So you... You would have been burying your light under I the think shore.
1: yeah, I mean, at the time, I just felt i didn 't have any gifts, you know, and I think part of um, part of why that was not my true vocation was that actually that is if somebody says oh i 've got no gifts that 's also always a lie of the devil, right, because we 've all got gifts, you know, and so yes it was it was a very again it was a it was a very well meaning ideal I was trying to follow, but it it wouldn 't have worked for me and But St Catherine of Siena drew you? Not St Catherine. I mean, she is the patron of our congregation and I love her. And in fact, last night I was um, at the chaplaincy here in Cambridge and we had, um, for for All Saints Day, we always try to do a, a, a kind of all saints day party we call it saints and sinners and we had like a balloon debate last night where you know you're all in a balloon and then you get chucked out and people have to vote and i went to st catherine of siena last night and i tried to persuade them that you know i should be the one who stayed in the balloon um i actually well i didn't get chucked out first which was that would have been humiliating uh but yeah i didn't win um no i love st catherine but no the thing that really drew me to the dominicans was um it was a two-fold thing i think well, maybe three. First of all, again, it was human contact. I met amongst all the people who were kind to me when, when I split up with my boyfriend. One of them was a young Dominican friar in Oxford. And um, it was kind of weird. He he was training at Blackfriars Oxford at the time, but he was helping out in the parish in Blackbirdley, so So that's where I met him. Um, and I got became very, very friendly with him. And it became very clear to me that we were sufficiently similar, that actually... If he could be a Dominican, maybe the Lord was calling me to something similar. So that was part of it. It was also the sense that, yes, I did have something to preach. Um, and OK, part of what I had to preach was, if you are broken, the Lord can use your brokenness. Um, but I actually, I think I, I, I discerned that I was being called to preach that rather than to kind of live it in as a Carmelite nun. So that was, that was the other thing. And the third thing about the Dominicans was that... Um, We put a very great emphasis on study, not as an end in itself and not as a kind of snooty elitist thing. Oh, you have to be really clever and write books to be a Dominican. It's not bad at all. But we do very much because we're preachers, we have to have something to preach. And so um, we study in order to preach. And there's a very close connection in our spirituality between study and prayer. And that really appealed to me. Mm-hmm. So those were the, the kind of particular reasons why why the Dominicans, I guess.
0: It's a wonderful, wonderful order.
1: Yeah, well, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh,
0: your second choice of music, this is still why you're in Oxford at Merton College. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hark the Herald Voice is calling that. Why do you choose this? I've never
1: actually heard of this. Oh, right. Well, it's an Advent hymn. I mean, ah, it's, okay. it's very much in the Anglican tradition, which, is, as we've been saying, is the tradition I came from into the Catholic Church. A um, couple of reasons why I chose it. First of all, I just love it. And I think the words are inspiring. Um, secondly, uh, the hymn tunes, certainly the Anglican tradition, always have names. And the name of this tune is actually Merton. Now, I don't know why, unless it's because the patron saint of Merton College is actually John the Baptist. So maybe there's an Advent theme going on there. I've, no- I've never known why, um, why it's called Merton, but it is. And going right back to the beginning of my time in Oxford, I was saying earlier that it was like a huge thing to, to have got into Oxford. And when I was going up for my interview, the interview's like they do here in Cambridge, they always happen just after the end of the Michaelmas turn, so it's always in Advent. And I went to church because I was really going to church, kind of putting my toe in the water at that stage. Uh, I went to church, and the first hymn that we sang at the um, Holy Communion service that morning in this little Anglican church in the middle of the Devon countryside was Merton, and I kind of took it as a sign. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> um, and I've asked, and I hope that this is the one that, that you've been able to find for me I'd be really grateful if it was I've actually asked that this recording we're going to listen to is the choir of Merton College Oxford so yeah let's wait and see I think it might be
0: That was Merton College singing just for you. Marvellous. Hark, the Herald voice is calling. So, listeners, our music choices this morning have been chosen by my guest, Sister Anne Swales, who is the Assistant Chaplain at Fisher House, the Catholic Chaplaincy in Cambridge. Uh, I have to make it so we're now moving swiftly on, (laughs) because your life is full of so many exciting events, to your move to London. So, you left Oxford, finally, you left Oxford and moved to
1: London? No, no, no. So, I left Oxford, moved to Cambridge to be a Dominican sister. I ah. spent two years in Cambridge in what we call the novitiate. Um, and then, at the end of that time, made my first professions as a Dominican sister and then moved to London, um, where I lived in a house in Ealing in West London with um, sisters from my own Dominican congregation but also from other groups of Dominican sisters um, from Italy and Pakistan so that's what I was doing in London I was there for for five years and um
0: five years is a long time
1: it is a long time and a lot happened in those five years but we probably don't have time to to go into that in too much detail I'm guessing um I guess what was really important for me about that time were two things really first of all, I was living in London, but commuting back to my beloved Oxford two days a week uh, to study theology at Blackfriars in Oxford and to do something called the um, Sacred Lectorate in Theology, which is a qualification. Of the Dominican Order and requires you to write like a fifty thousand word dissertation. And so I re- this is going back to what you were saying that it's not about learning isn't a sort of snooty
0: yeah.
1: affair. It's about it's for, for, preaching. It's for preaching. It's for and, preaching and enriching. It's interesting. Exactly that. Uh, and so my dissertation was on. Um, the church in modern Catholic theology, really, I guess, would be a, a quick way of, of summarising that. What, In particular, what do we mean to, by calling the church the mystical body of Christ? That's what I was interested in exploring. And alongside that, while I was in London, I began working in university chaplaincy. Ah,
0: oh, right. OK, so this is be the beginning of this journey where
1: you are now. Mm, very much so. Interesting. So. Can we hear more about that after your third choice? Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so my third choice is um, it's called the O Spem, Spem Miram, which means a oh, wonderful hope, and it's a it's a piece of medieval chant. It goes back a very very long way, and it's actually a hymn to Saint Dominic. Um, and it's the text of the psalm of t- of the, of the um, chant talks about how. When St. Dominic was on his deathbed, he promised that he would be um, more used to his brothers than he was in his lifetime, because in heaven, he'd be praying for them. And I think maybe it's particularly uh, dear to Dominicans, because you know we all need all the help we can get spiritually and and it's lovely to think that our holy father st dominic is praying for us it's also maybe a nice thing to think about at this time of year because yesterday was all saints today is all souls so we very much are aware i think of this time of year aren't we of, of kind of how the church it's wonderful that the church is spread throughout the world now but even that isn't all of the church. It's also our brothers and sisters in heaven and our brothers and sisters on their way to heaven. So, um, to maybe think about the wonderful hope of heaven as well as uh, the wonderful hope that we can, as Dominicans, look for through the prayers of St. Dominic. What a
2: wonderful concept. Let's hear it. ti <muchos> risovo Spirit.
0: Wonderful music. Thank you so much for that. I've never heard it before.
1: Oh, it's gorgeous, isn't it's it? absolutely beautiful. Really gorgeous. And that recording, actually, um, was made by two young Dominican friars, one of whom he's, he's actually Dutch, but he did his studies, um, his novitiate studies in Cambridge, so I actually know and recognised his voice. Oh, so it's it. particularly lovely. special for me. Thank uh, you so much for, for that.
0: No, it's a, a real, real pleasure. So now we're up to the bit that's really how I... I See you. Uh, I've seen you over quite a lot of years now. Your your university chaplaincy work. How does that work? I mean, are you. I remember going to university chaplaincy when I was a, a student, and really, um, I really needed it. Um, but and uh, but there was nobody like you around. But I I think I then related to the students who were older than me. Mm. Um, so how do you sort of wait for people to come
1: to you or do you initiate events or how it, it... it's a combination of things and it depends a little bit on the institution so when i was working in the university of chaplaincy in london for example um london university is a massive institution and, and it has these constituent colleges but each college is the size of a university anywhere else so for example i was um mainly working at king's college london and there I was part of a wonderful team and it was an ecumenical team. So there was a different kind of slightly different dynamic to it from how it is here in Cambridge, for example, where all the colleges have their own chapel, which in most cases are Anglican. And then Fisher House is the, is the chaplaincy for the, the entire university as a Catholic chaplaincy. So, you know, there are things like that that are different from place to place. Um, but I'd say that both in KCL and in Cambridge, I've been hugely blessed by having students who are... Um, extremely full of initiative want to start things up and to a large extent uh what the chaplains do is they enable that obviously you know a little bit of a guiding hand a little bit of the sort of older sister or older brother or mother or father figure um you know depending on exactly who the chaplains are but it's a combination really of of student initiative and chaplains initiatives coming together i'd say
0: but have you ever been in a situation where you you just think well, we've got nothing. I've just got to kickstart this.
1: I've, as I say, I think I've been really blessed by other people being around to to, to at least help out with the kickstarting. I guess the nearest thing I'd I'd describe to that would be our experience here at Fisher House in the aftermath of the pandemic when, you know, um, and I'm sure this would be in one way or another, replicated all over the country and indeed all over the world, that, you know, an awful lot of things that we could take for granted did have to be kick-started. But even there, you know, it was often the students coming up and saying, oh, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? It's it's just an enormously inspiring ministry to be part of. And and wonderful that they come to you and say, let's get started. Exactly. I mean, one of the things that, you know, I found most moving over the last year was um, we had... A huge response at Fisher House to the crisis in Ukraine, and students wanting to donate, wanting to help out in all sorts of ways. But you know, that's that's just one example among many. There's there's so much good that happens in these ways. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's very life-enhancing when when you're surrounded by young people is, with that amount really of is. energy and yeah, and exhausting passion. as well sometimes. Yes. But
0: <laughs> now yeah. we're up to your fourth choice of music, which is the Proclamation of Christmas. We seem to be doing a very procedural journey here, which is nice.
1: Yes, we've been dotting around all over the the church this year, haven't we? Um, I have to say this is a bit of an indulgence in that it's not as directly connected with um, particular events in my life as some of the others. I have actually sung this twice myself, but I've principally put it here just because I really, really love it and I would love to kind of... um, spread my enthusiasm for this piece that again i think may be a bit unfamiliar to some people what it is is um as as you'll hear it's it sounds uh, begins um quite mundanely it just says the 25th day of december and it's actually if you can imagine what it is it's a page torn from um the book that describes all the different days in the church's year so like you know this happens to be the saint's day that falls today. Only this particular saint's day is, is the birth of our Lord. And it kind of describes the significance of Christmas. And what I really love about it is that it begins by talking about um, how Christmas comes as the culmination, or the incarnation of Christ comes as the culmination of everything that God has been doing for his His people from creation onwards. So it takes you right the way through the, the story of the Old Testament. It talks about the exodus from Egypt, the... the, the um, captivity in babylon and so on and then suddenly it flips and talks about the things that were going on in the world outside of israel outside of the covenant um at the time when jesus was born so it talks about the how long after the the city of rome was founded was jesus born who was the emperor at that time and it says to me really really powerfully um both that there is something amazingly generous and and yeah, just overwhelmingly beautiful about God stepping into our very mundane, normal world with all the political strife, all the difficulties, um, as one of us, and yet at the same time doing something absolutely marvelous and um, miraculous with, with us in that space. So that's why I've chosen it.
3: December of December, when ages beyond number had run their course from the creation of the world. When God in the beginning created heaven and earth, and formed man in his own likeness. When century upon century had passed, since the Almighty set his power in the clouds after the great flood, as a sign of covenant and peace. In the 21st century, since Abraham, our father in faith, came out of the earth of the Chaldees. In the 13th century, since the people of Israel were led by Moses in the exodus from Egypt. Around the thousand years since David was anointed king. In the sixty-fifth week of the prophecy of Daniel, in the one hundred and ninety-fourth Olympiad, in the year 752 since the foundation of the city of Rome, in the forty-second year of the reign of Caesar Octavian Augustus, the whole world being at peace. Jesus Christ, eternal God, and Son of the Eternal Father, deciding to consecrate the world by his most loving presence, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and when nine months had passed since his conception, was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem of Judah, and was made man. The nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, I call.
0: Proclamation of Christmas, that is actually a textbook in itself. It
1: is. It's stunning, It's isn't extraordinary. It? Yeah. If you could learn it off by heart, you could just do all your exams. Absolutely. Yes, the entire entirety of salvation history in a couple of minutes. It's amazing. It's extraordinary. <laughs> have any of Sister Anne's
0: music choices inspired you this morning? Do you have any personal connections with hymns or worship music? If so, please email us at music at uk. We would love to expand our library and need your suggestions. Let's talk a little bit more before we have to leave you about um, Fisher House, which is one of my favourite
1: places in Cambridge. Mine too. And it's really hard to to put into words what Fisher House means, I think, to any of us who've who've had anything to do with it. I guess one of the ways I most easily can is to say that one of the other things I've been doing with my life whilst working at Fisher House has been trying to finally do a doctorate. So I failed in Oxford. I'm, I'm hoping to succeed in Cambridge. And I've been writing a doctorate, which I've just finished. And of course, when you um, submit a doctoral thesis, it's traditional to put in acknowledgements. Uh, yeah. And I've dedicated my thesis to two groups of people without whom I couldn't have done it. And one is my own congregation of Dominican sisters, but the other is the students of Fisher House. They sometimes laugh because the subject of the thesis is actually the theology of suffering, and so it sounds a bit weird to say, oh, you know, working at Fisher House kind of gave me lots of material. It's not that. It's that they're, as I was saying earlier, the way that they're so engaged, so interested, so inspired, but also so faithful and so compassionate. Um, I really couldn't have done that work without without them and yeah it's just been uh, such a joy to work with them and, since and 2011 we you can't mention fisher house without ever
0: ever mentioning
1: father wonderful mark that's true so um when i first worked at fisher house um i actually my time at fisher house predated father mark and i worked with with father Robert mccoy who was also wonderful then two years into my time there father mark arrived and yes in many ways Fisher House and Father Mark, as I say, you 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 just do have to mention them in the same breath. Very sadly, Father Mark died um, uh, in 2021 and we're still missing him very, very much. Uh, and my last piece of music, which I guess uh, we'll come on to very shortly, is actually partly dedicated to his his memory. Um, but yes, he was a huge influence on me. He actually was 100 percent behind me beginning the thesis. In fact, it's through him that I met my um dissertation supervisor uh yes i i i couldn't put into words what i owe to father mark
0: he's uh, wonderful he's so so much missed mm. so your last piece of music um is sung by Clare college mm. so we're back to cambridge um left merton back to
1: cambridge um
0: god so loved the world
1: that's right. So God So Love the World is from Stainer's Crucifixion, which is a, a, another classical part of the, the Anglican um, choral repertoire. So it, in a way, it's, it's kind of connected with, with my heritage in that way as well. I've chosen this particular recording of it because it is sung by uh, the, college at, uh, the, the choir at Clare College, which is my college in Cambridge. That's where I've been doing oh, the Ph.D also this particular recording was made during lockdown it was one of those which was made with everybody recording it on their phones and then it being magically spliced together which i just yes. think is such an inspiring use of technology and very very moving in itself one of the comments uh on this uh, online is god so loved the world and no pandemic could put a stop to that and i find that Really, really inspiring. The other thing is that it was um one of Father Mark's favourite pieces and the choir of Fisher House sang it at um the Requiem that we had for him shortly after he died. So it has all sorts of resonances for me, but also I just think God so loved the world, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world should live through him, should have life through him. I just think that's what all of our lives are about and I think it's a it's a great way to end so
0: thank you so much Sister Anne. it's been so wonderful talking to you and hearing your music a real privilege thank you
1: well thank you it's been an absolute delight